You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning a new study of the lives of faithful Old Testament followers of God, whose stories were recorded for us as examples. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. So it seems like in this world that we live in, we recognize that there are pairs that seemingly go together. I bet you, if I say the first word, I bet you can come up with the second one, such as this, salt and, yeah, macaroni and. See, we all have those things that are out there that we know they go together, peanut butter and. Yeah, see, we know those things that go together. And we would actually say that putting them together makes it better than if they were individual, right? I mean, macaroni just by itself, right? Put them together and it gets better. One of those things that is out there in my world that I think about is that phrase, it's better caught than taught. And I don't know why we need to get into the idea of which one's better because either one without the other is inadequate. I don't know if you've been taught something that you could actually catch it later on, right? Like, I saw this happening, but if I hadn't been taught, if I didn't have the input, then I don't know that I'd be able to catch anything. I think I would just look around and think, well, that was kind of an interesting thing that I saw. Somehow, it's that we teach something, and then we see it in action. And so, it's not just that being caught is better than being taught. It's the fact that either one without the other is inadequate. So, when we come into this, we've spent the last seven weeks talking about the seven hallmarks of an Orthodox church. So we've been talking through all these doctrinal things, important things. Now, some of it's pretty heady. Some of it forces us to be really precise. Maybe you learned some new words, some vocabulary you hadn't heard before. But across those seven series, those seven messages in that series, what we talked about was this. Can we trust our scriptures? What does the Bible say about the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. What do we learn about Jesus Christ, his humanity, and his deity? What do we learn about that? What's the problem with humanity? Why do we need to know that? Because there's a problem with humanity. And then we took a step back and talked about the necessity of an atonement. How can we atone for the fact that we've been separated from God? So then we talked about salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And then we talked about the second coming. Now, we have done the part, we can talk about it's better to, be, uh, to catch it than to teach it, but if we don't have them together, then we're at a loss. So we spent seven weeks teaching, and now we come into Hebrews chapter 11. What does it look like? If you have caught what we have taught in the last seven weeks, then you've got some input, and it's changing the way we live. Now, if we went through the last seven weeks and our only thought was this, is we may be able to answer questions in jeopardy, or maybe we could win a debate at the coffee shop, or we learn some new vocabulary words that we can try out on somebody, then maybe we didn't accomplish all that we were seeking to accomplish. Maybe we need to learn so that we can then figure out what it looks like to live this life of faith. Because if we don't, we get into trouble. Marva Dawn wrote a book uh, that I think had some rather significant things. Uh, she quotes William Hendricks in this when she writes this, is that after interviewing people to find out why they left churches, 
Hendricks encourages pastors to teach people to think theologically so that they can resist what is, quote, essentially McDoctrine. Now, I think we can hear that and we can all say, I kind of get where Hendricks is going. And then in case we missed it, Don adds this, spiritual fast food of proof, proof texts and cliches that are filling and fattening, but not particularly nourishing. Because if we're really honest, we can walk through this life, can't we? And we can take in all of the fast food and we can have Bible verses that we can slap on things like bumper stickers. When you go through a hard time, somebody just throws a bumper sticker of a Bible verse on you and you're supposed to be warm and be filled and walk out the door as if that's going to change your life. Not that those Bible verses don't offer us theological truth, but apart from being equipped to understand how these doctrines, those seven that we, we covered, actually would equip us to live this life, if we haven't done that, then we've done nothing other than offer you McDoctrine that you've driven through a drive through and we've given you a Bible verse to apply. So how do we live this life of faith? How do we live this life of faith? Because what we know is this, this life that you and I are walking through is hard. It is difficult, and we need more than a Bible verse to slap on on our bumper. We need something that will feed us and nourish us for the things that we're facing in this life. Better caught than taught, either one without the others inadequate. So we're going to pair them together for the sake of talking through a group of people. Hebrews chapter 11, I'd encourage you to turn there with me if you haven't yet. Because what we're going to spend this summer talking through is people who learned and understood God. They understood God's Word, and they actually were able to apply it to their life, and it helped carry them into the calling that they have. You've got a calling on your life, and it may, some days may be easier than others, but what we know is this. If we don't understand the, the counsel of Scripture, is that we will not be equipped to live the life God calls us to live in the midst of this. So when we come into Hebrews chapter 11, you may have some familiarity with this. This chapter is kind of well-known. It's, it's filled with Bible stories that take us back into the Old Testament. We're going to do this this summer. If you're traveling, we certainly would encourage you to, to chime in and listen and follow along. If you miss a message, you can, uh, you can find us on our, our uh, video podcast and listen. But as you're here, we're going to be encouraged by people who not only were taught Scripture, but they caught the vision for how it applied in their life, and then they move forward. So when we come into this, this first verse of chapter 11 is a rather uh, significant verse. It sets the tone for the whole chapter. But there's four words in it that I want us to, inter I want to introduce to you before we jump into it. The first is this word faith. And when we come to faith, just to be really clear about what we're talking about, we're talking about this. It's the confident belief that God has the ability to fulfill his promises. Is that God said something and we live out this trust. When God said this, is that he has the capacity to do it, okay? The second word is this, assurance. The foundational basis for any attitude of assurance that looks back on previous experiences. If you and I come into this conversation and we said, I've got a faith that God can do what he says he's going to do, assurance is what's going to look back. I can look back and I can see his track record. He's been faithful to do what he said he was going to do. He promised this. He promised he was going to work all things together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. And I can look back and I can see how he's been busy doing that. As I read the scriptures, we've got a lot of stories where that's true. 
If you have brothers and sisters in Christ, you can ask them, tell me about a time where you were facing something and it just like, man, this is a train wreck. Nothing good's going to come from this. I don't see how God could pull anything out. I'm in utter despair over this. And then you start looking and you say, oh, I can see God's hand. I can see God's hand. Now, I will concede this. Some of us are still waiting to see that moment as we're living in the, we don't see it yet. But in that moment, we don't abandon it because our faith says God can do what he says he's going to do. And I can look back and say, okay, I haven't seen the answer yet, but here, here, and here, I know that he's been true to what he said. Because when we can look back, we get our assurance. And when we see our assurance, it gives us the next word we're going to look at, hope. Hope is moving forward. Assurance looks back. He's got the proven track record. He has never failed to be true to his word. Hope gives me hope today moving forward. Hope. You and I can say, I hope it rains. I hope it cools off. I hope the temperatures are not as hot this week as the forecast says, right? Hope, when we speak about it, speaks of uncertainty, but what we would like to be. When we come to scriptures, hope doesn't mean that at all. Hope in the scriptures mean this, it will happen. It just hasn't happened yet. It's the expectation that God will make good on his promises moving forward. See, Our assurance looks back to say he's done it. He's never failed. Hope says from this point forward, I can look back and see that he's been faithful. And so that gives me strength today moving forward, which brings us to the fourth word, which is conviction. That we can live with the confidence that something that's not present, presently evident, I can't see it, my sensory doesn't have it, but it will become an objective reality in the future. See how that all works together? Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, so uh, I will just say the author of Hebrews offers us this passage. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, let's stop a second, because I'm going to go back, and I'm going to offer our definitions to elaborate a little bit on this. Now, faith, the, the belief that God will do what he says he's going to do, is the assurance, because we can look back and see his track record. He has a 100% track record of faithfulness, of things hoped for because of where he's been and what he's done. I can move forward trusting that he will continue to do it for the conviction of things not seen. I don't have to see it right now because I live in the conviction that he will do what he says he's going to do because he has the track record that he's always done it and he's moving us forward that he will continue to do it. See, it's out of that background that he offers us the next verse. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. People of old, all of these stories, we're going to hear more in, uh, as we go through this chapter, but the people of old, God's people have always been able to gather and tell the stories. Let me tell you what happened. Man, just when I was at a loss, I didn't see how God could do anything in the, it just seemed like all was lost. This was a train wreck. There was no way this was going to be good. And God's people have always come together and been able to say, you know what? It was at my lowest point where God's ray of, of sunlight came through and hit me. And all of a sudden, God put some spring back in my step. 
It didn't mean the pain was gone, but I saw purpose in the pain. I watched him begin to move me forward. I saw how he was at work in that. It still hurt, but I had the conviction that I could move forward, that God had not forgotten the fact that he promised that he would work all things together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. He kept moving me forward in that. See, if we think about the church, capital C Church, Grace Church, part of that, capital C Church, the body of believers, everybody who professes Christ as Savior, if we would look at them and say, you know what we do really good as churches? We do really well at asking God to provide for our needs. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need that. It would be great if you showed up in that. And by the way, God doesn't begrudge us when we ask for things. He tells us to bring those things to him. But you know where the capital C church does not always thrive? We don't always thrive in giving these kind of testimonies, commendation. Let me tell you, when my life was falling apart, how God showed up and he saved the day, that had he not shown up, it would have completely continued to go downhill. For the church to learn how to do that. Why? Because it's the testimonies of old, the commendations, the people of old, and, and no offense, but there's another generation coming up, and everybody in this room will become the people of old if you're not already there yet, right? Who's telling the next generation? Let me tell you how God showed up. Let me tell you what God did in the midst of this situation. Because we're trying to figure out how to learn, how to live in a reality that is difficult. It's really difficult to walk the path these days, isn't it? To stand up and say, let me tell you what God did in the midst of it. Because he goes on and he offers this in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Yeah. You and I can say, okay, by faith, I believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And we're like, but you know, I don't know. I mean, can he really step in and reconcile this situation? Can he really bring comfort in the midst of this pain? Is it possible that God could pull us out of this financial disaster that we find ourselves in? Is it possible that God could fix my child, my marriage, my health, somebody else's health in my life? And I think that we can say, well, God said he's going to do it. His track record is pretty good assurance. The hope is, is that if he did it in the past, he could do it now. So I'm going to live with it today. And then the author of Hebrews says, hey, remember this. We understand that the universe was created out of nothing. The encouragement is this. If you think that there is something God can't do, the author wants to say, hey, look around you. You realize at some point there was nothing here? Nothing. Everything you see, God created. At one point in time, there was no sun, there was no sky, there was no water, there were no animals, there was no land, there was none of it. And you and I are like, God, I don't know, can you reconcile this situation that I'm in? And the author of Hebrews wants to say, look around you. At one point, there was nothing, and now there's something, and the God that we place our faith in is the one who did that. All of a sudden, it begins to take on a little bit more reality. Maybe if he can do that, maybe he can speak into my life. And maybe he can offer me something that of encouragement and growth and development. How's that going to happen? Well, he spends most of the rest of the chapter showing us people who had been taught about the Lord, and then they caught the vision for it. And you and I have the opportunity to look at their lives and maybe we're going to catch something 
something about how they lived out their faith based on the same tenets of faith that we have today. Here's our first one. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through his faith, though he's passed, he still speaks. See, here's our story. Genesis 1, we get a creation account. Genesis 2, we get a creation account, but we add the gift of marriage in the very first wedding ceremony. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. Everything gets cursed. Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have two boys. Turn with me if you would. Keep a finger here in Hebrews 11. If you've got a little bookmark, you may want to put it there because we're going to move back and forth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Because we're going to look at this story. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Two brothers. We already know from the book of Hebrews that there is one of them is affirmed by the Lord. The other is not going to be affirmed by the Lord in what he did. We got two sons. One of them is working out in the fields, Cain, working the ground. Abel is working with the livestock, okay? Two sons, two different jobs at their home. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain, his offering, had, he had no regard. So let's stop a second. Now, if you and I are thinking about, well, we understand some things about the animal sacrifice, Official system is that it was important to bring an unblemished sacrifice. We're in Genesis 4. None of that stuff has been recorded yet. We have two brothers that are coming to bring a sacrifice. We don't know anything about the rules of the sacrificial system yet. It's too early. We don't know that stuff. We got Cain who's working in the field growing produce, and he brings something from that. And then we have Abel who's working with livestock. Now, if you look back down and look at the words that used to describe this wonderful sacrifice Cain brought, you're not going to see any of those words. We get it just as matter-of-factly as can be. In the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. He grew fruit, he picked something up that was there, and he brought that as his offering. But look at the words that use, are used to describe Abel's offering. Well, Abel, he brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, the best part. We have about as many words about Cain's offering as he probably put effort into deciding what he was going to offer. Hey, this is good. Here's something. Let me bring that. And then there's Abel, on the other hand, that's looking around and says, that's the best one. That's the best one. That's the one I'm going to bring to the Lord. Now, how, well, I'm making a statement here, but I think that it's backed up from Scripture. Because if you look back at the Scripture, we all of a sudden see, in both times we see the name first, in the middle of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. See, he doesn't even measure and say, you know what, I really prefer, I prefer a specific kind of offering. That's not what he says. 
Both of them were the names first. Cain brought his, Abel brought his, the Lord accepted Abel's, he rejected Cain's. There were no rules. You and I could say, well, was the Lord just upset that day? Why was he so choosy? Why did he reject Cain's? I think it's in the, I think it's in the text there, right? Abel thought, offered the very best he had. The question was, how much can I bring to the Lord versus Cain, who is what's available and let me bring it. Cain, we don't get a description of his offering, just that he brought it. Abel, we get a rather lengthy description to say this is what he did. Who's meant more? It's not the product, it's the heart behind the product. Cain just made something available. I think Cain was probably going through the motions, and I'll address that here in a second. I think Abel looked up and said, I love the Lord, I want to worship the Lord. What's the very best I can give him? He picks the very best thing and he brings it and offers that. And all of a sudden, when we look at the text, what we see is the Lord accepted it. But look at the end of, look at verse 5. But for Cain, he had, uh, for Canaan's offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now think with me. If Cain is going to worship for the heart of worship, then you go before the Lord. The Lord rejects your offering, but your heart's in the right place. You know what you say? Lord, what did I do wrong? Lord, teach me. Find me faithful. My heart wants to worship you. Obviously, my brother accomplished something I did not. You accepted his offering. You didn't accept mine. Lord, when I come to you, I have an understanding of who you are and who I am, and I really want to worship you. Tell me, what did I do wrong? Help me worship you more effectively. He'd be teachable. Do you see teachable there? So Cain was very angry and his face fell. I don't think Cain's heart was in it at all. I think Cain was trying to check a box off to say, hey, 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 I fulfilled my requirement. I put my check in my box. I brought my offering. And Lord, it's your obligation to accept that. When the Lord said, I'm not accepting it because your heart's not in the right place, he gets angry. Look at what the Lord says. The Lord teaches us here. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your faith falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, if your heart was in the right place, would I not have accepted your offering? When your heart's in the right place, I do accept your offering. Look at your brother Abel. I accepted his offering. I'm not trying to reject you, but if you're going to bring me something as an act of worship, let it be an act of worship, not some rote ritual that you're just bringing my way. And then he says, and if you do not do well, if you do well, it'll be accepted. If you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. If I'm not going to come through for you the way you want me to come through for you, then sin's going to be there for you to reject me, take your own path, do whatever you want to do. And if you know the rest of that story, it certainly happens. By the way, when we come to this and what we see is this reality is we've got other passages that we can look at, like Proverbs 21, where it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? See, it's not just that we bring a sacrifice. It's that we bring a sacrifice with the right heart that longs to worship the Lord. Because when we do that, then of course the Lord accepts it. Abel shows us that. The problem for you and me can be that sometimes we just want to go through the motions. And when the Lord stops us in our tracks and says, 
hey, this really isn't about me at this point. This really isn't an act of worship. This is you just trying to put a check in the box. And we're met with the harsh reality that sometimes we just get mad. God, what do you want from me, God? And I think that's exactly where we end with these two. God doesn't want us going through the motions. He wants our heart, which is why if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, we see this. And through his faith, Abel's faith, though Abel died, he still speaks. He's still offering that to you and me. When you and I come into this place, what's our heart? Is it to put a check in a box or is it to worship and engage the Lord? Look with me, if you would, at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, let that sit there for a second because this seems like an incredible story, right? There was Enoch. Enoch didn't die. All of a sudden, he was taken up so that he was not found. Like, where did Enoch go? What happened to him? Where did he go? Turn with me back, if you would, Genesis chapter 5. If you haven't heard of Enoch, you may have heard of Enoch's son, Methuselah, because that's always a Bible trivia question. Who, what's the longest recorded life in history? So Enoch's not even the most famous person in his family line. And in this whole family line of these lineages, then really what we see is Enoch had the shortest lifespan of all of them. But look with me, if you would, at verse 21. Genesis 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, let me just say this. Can you imagine a more glorious tombstone then here lies he or she who walked with God. Oh, that that would be said of all of us. It's said of Enoch. And he had this relationship. We don't know a lot about him. What we know about him is that he walked with God for sure 300 years. Could you imagine walking with God for 300 years in obedience and fellowship? Because it's been said so oftentimes, right, is we have a birthday and we have a death day, and in between there's that hyphen. And you may have heard this said before, what really matters is how do we invest our hyphen? What do we do with that hyphen, that little bit of time between the two days that characterizes how we live our life? You know, if you've ever thought, what's your funeral going to be like? Who's going to be there? Who's going to stand up and say something about you? What's going to be said? Think with me about Enoch. One is, he doesn't have a headstone because all of a sudden he was not. He wasn't even around anymore. The Hebrew word there is translated. Like he was on earth and then somehow he became translated into the very presence of God, okay? Just translated up into heaven. But what Enoch, had he had a headstone, but you didn't know where he was, so you don't. But if you had a headstone, what it would have been was birthday, couldn't find him in between he walked with God. Now think with me about how miraculous of a statement that is. And you and I can look at him and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Enoch lived a long time ago. I mean, there weren't even that many people around. There wasn't social media. He doesn't know what it's like to have to live with social media. He didn't know what it's like to have 24-7 news. Let me tell you, 
Jude, in his short book of one chapter, offers us this. It was about these that Enoch, this is who we're talking about, the one who walked with God, okay? Now, I want you to keep that because his story is he walked with God. And so, as I read the rest of what Enoch recorded, know that it stands in opposition to what he wrote. He walked with God. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. Why execute judgment? Because things were going wrong. Now, listen to what Enoch said. And to convict all of the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Walk with God ungodly, deeds of ungodly, ungodly ways, ungodly sinner. Do you see the comparison? Because you and I can look up and say, well, this world is speaking evil and rebuking God and rejecting him. And Enoch would say, don't I know it? I've lived this same experience. If the lesson is, is it possible to walk with God in such a way in the midst of a generation of ungodliness? Enoch says yes. And what is the shortest lifespan in that entire section in Genesis 5 is Enoch. I don't know. Maybe it was God's reward to say, you have achieved such a quality of relationship with me that I'm going to pull you out of here and just bring you home. What a moment that was, I'm sure. Ungodly, deeds of ungodliness in ungodly ways, ungodly sinners who are speaking out against God. And that quote goes on. You want to know what they were doing? Listen to this and tell me this could not be a headline today. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let me tell you, if you and I are looking around and we're trying to say, okay, I believe in the Scriptures, the Trinity, Jesus Christ. I hold to the problem of humanity. I believe in the atonement that we needed one. I believe in salvation by faith alone. And I believe that there's a second coming. Can you see how maybe it would change the way we live our lives? Because all of a sudden, if you're Enoch, it changed everything about his life. He walked with God in such a way that for 300 years, if you and I look through this list over and over, and so then they lived, and then he died, and then he lived, and then he died, and the Enoch, you get he lived, he walked with God, and then he was no more. You want to talk about changing the way to think about your life. He didn't live, he walked with God. And you and I could say, okay, so that was Enoch. That was pretty early. Is that a model for us? Well, I think the author of Hebrews thinks that it's a model for how we can live our lives. But all of a sudden, by the time we get to Leviticus, we have God saying, if you, Israel, walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, hey, Israel, you can live like Enoch. You too can walk with me through everything going on in the world. Just live by faith. Look at my assurances. Look backward. Build a hope for the future and live in the conviction today. Okay, well, that works for Israel. Well, yeah, Paul seemed to think it worked for the church too. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We're not exempt. Those same seven doctrines are intended to encourage us to walk with us in such a way that we can know him and walk with him today. That's all part of it that we would live out this faith. And by the way, is there any example that we can look up in Scripture? If you were here last week, I, you saw Joe offer this slide. If you weren't, I'd encourage you to listen. There's an entire generation of the church that is going to be translated into the presence of God without dying as well. 
We know that is the rapture. That's coming for the church. So what we see with Enoch isn't the last time that's going to happen. We're going to see that again. Look back with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 11. He told us about faith. He told us, look back and evaluate the Lord's track record. Let that be our confidence moving forward. Live in the conviction today. Is it possible? Yeah, let me tell you what Abel wants to teach you. Let me tell you about Enoch who walked with me in the midst of, of tough times of unrighteousness and ungodliness. And then we come back to this, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for what, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that, by his, uh, and that he rewards those who seek him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. You want to please the Lord? The indispensable reality, if you and I want to please the Lord, is the requirement of faith. What's faith? Believing that God will do what he says he's going to do. You know where it begins? God, you said it. I'm going to walk with you. Your track record is impeccable. I trust you moving forward, and that's enough to get me through this day today. I don't know how it's going to happen, but Lord, I trust you in this. Because when we come to the second part, it's kind of funny to me that the author writes it, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. I'm thinking, well, why would you draw near to a God who you didn't think was exi would exist? And why would you have faith in a God that you didn't think existed? And maybe, as I think through this, maybe what he's trying to say is, and if you believe he exists, then why in the world would you not draw near to him? I mean, if you really believed that he existed, and let's go back to our doctrine series when we're talking about the Trinity and we talk about all these perfections, not just that God has attributes, but that he's the perfection of those attributes. It's not just that he has that characteristic. No, take this one, the perfection of love. It's not just that he has the attribute of love. He's the perfection of love. He seeks your highest good through affection and correction, okay? If God exists, and you believe that he exists, why would you and I not run to the God who seeks your highest good through affection and correction? Of course we would. See, this is where it went from not just being taught, but caught. We got to put those together. If we know this to be true and we catch it, guess where you're going to run in times of trouble? Guess where you're going to run when life feels overwhelming? to the one who seeks your highest good. Well, what can he do about it? Well, one is he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, capable of anything consistent with his nature. Of course you run to him because not only does he want your good, but he's capable of bringing about anything that you need to do it. Oh, he's also omnipresent. I'm sure Enoch at some point thought, I'm all alone. I'm surrounded by the ungodly and their ungodly deeds and their ungodly all this stuff ungodly. God, you don't know what it's like to be all alone. And God says, uh-uh, you're not alone. You're with me. And he says, that's okay, God. I'd rather walk with you all the days of my hyphen than walk with the world. That same calling is there for you and me today in everything that we do. God, you don't know what I'm up against. He says, actually, I do. I know all things, actual and possible. If you were here that day, I made the statement, God never learns anything. He knows everything. 
So let's come back and look at what the author of Hebrews says. Without faith, without taking God at his word, without believing that God is capable of doing what he says he's going to do, it's impossible to please him. It begins with trusting him. If you're here today and you don't know him, get to know him. Draw near to the word. Start reading the stories of the scripture. Start building that faith and the assurance of maybe you haven't seen it at work in your life, but get to know the Bible stories, these people who saw God show up. Get to know some of the brothers and sisters in Christ in this church and listen to them tell you how God shows up. We cut out without believing that God's capable of doing what he said, it will be impossible for us to ever please him. But if we know him, then we will draw near to him. How could we not that he rewards those who seek him? The Lord rewards faith. We can get into talking about wanting the blessor or the blessings. I think if we want the blessings and not the blessor, we don't get the blessings. But I think Scripture makes it really clear that when we pursue the blessor, God, place our faith and trust in him, then the blessings of this life in this life come with it. That's God's goodness. That's what he does. He offers us. He encourages. He rewards us. But you know where this all begins? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Sometimes we want the blessings, but we don't want the blessor. The blessings are the fruit of a relationship of pursuing the blessor and having faith in him for who he is and what he said he's going to do. See, caught and taught, they really are intended to go together. I don't know how you catch it if you don't have any input to process. But if our world is just about teaching, being taught so that we can win arguments and win trivia, then that certainly isn't the goal either. And so when Dawn, who I, Marva Dawn, who I quoted earlier, offers this, she says, it seems indisputable to me that television has habituated its watchers to low information action ratio. Television has got us living where we get lots of information and we don't do anything with it, Right? I can just take in information all day. I can sit in front of the news channels all day. I don't have to do anything with it. I just get information all day long. Go binge watch something on Netflix, right? All day long. And she says, you know what? Television is what's helped create this in us. We take in information. We don't do anything with it. But this is where it gets a little bit convicting. People are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. See, if those doctrines that we study have anything pertaining to life and godliness, which Scripture tells us that they do, that we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, then the be-all, end-all goal isn't the acquisition of more knowledge. It's that we would take that knowledge and go out and live a transformed life trusting in the Lord because this life requires it if we're going to do it well. You and I want to live a life that walks with the Lord, then this is what it's going to require I got to tell you, years ago, I found myself in a situation where my daughter's birthday was in the middle of the week, and we were approaching her birthday, and I had told her, sweetie, we'll take you to the American Girl doll store uh, this weekend to celebrate. Now, my, because my parents lived out of town, my son's birthday was in September, my daughter's is in October, my parents alternated years as to which birthday they would come to, and they had come in September for my son, and now it's October rolling around, and she's upset that her grandparents are going to be there. So I go and tell her, hey, you know what? 
let's go to the American Girl Doll store down in Dallas. We're going to have a great time. Her birthday's in the middle of the week. We're going to go the weekend before. Okay, we're all ready. We're ready to go. My parents call me and say, hey, we found a way to make it work. We're coming back for the birthday, but we can't be there the weekend before. We can come the weekend after. I'm like, great. All right. So I pull my daughter down. I get down on one knee. I'm like, look me in the eyes, right? And so I'm like, sweetie, here's the deal. I made a promise to you that I would take you to the American Girl Doll store Saturday. She's like, yeah, Dad, I can't wait. I'm like, okay, we're going to go. Unless, unless, it would be better for you if we wait till the following weekend. But Dad, you promised. I know. And I will take you this weekend because I made a promise to you that I would but it will be better for you if we wait. Well, why? I can't tell you that. (laughs) What do you mean you can't tell me that? It's a surprise. But I want to go this week. I know. It'll be better if we go next week. Okay. And when I tell you, my little girl looked up at me, tears streaming down her face, and she looked at me and she said, Dad, I really want to go this weekend. But if you tell me it'll be better next weekend... I'll wait till next weekend. And there's something that's really incredible about that, right? It's because there was something that had happened at least enough times in our life where I'd been a person that had given her enough assurance. She could look back and say, well, he didn't lie to me there. He didn't lie to me there. He did this. He actually loves me and cares for me and he wants good things for me. And if he's been that way before in the assurance, and that's where we are today, then I guess I can trust him that The following weekend really is a better weekend. And through her tears, even though it wasn't necessarily what she wanted, really what she wanted was the trust that she could have her faith placed in somebody that knew more than she knew, but knew that that person loved her and was committed to her good and knew what was better. And somehow that was enough for her. And let me tell you, when the grandparents showed up, oh man, it was all worth it. No more tears that day. Let me encourage you, this God that we follow, get to know him. And when you get to know him, then all of a sudden you will begin to believe the things that he says. Because then you'll look backwards on the assurance. You'll say, oh, his track record is perfect. He's never once failed me. I don't have all the answers yet. There's still some things lingering out there. But where, where there's a closed book, he's never once failed me. And that gives me hope moving forward. So today I choose to walk with him. And as for this sacrifice of Cain and Abel, let me tell you, the author of Hebrews offers us this, where he said, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, is that you and I have the privilege. We don't need to go through, we don't need to go slay an animal today. We don't need to go out and find uh, something off the ground to offer. It was never about that. It was about our hearts that you and I would come before the Lord with a heart that longed to worship him with a greater understanding of who he is and who we are, that we can continually offer a sacrifice of praise to him. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stonelight Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next time.